If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 7, the Gospel of John chapter 7. And a lot of times I give you the background and uh, the context information of, of Scripture passages. And it's important to do because they help us understand and rightly apply uh, Scripture as we study through it. But this morning, I want to do a little bit more than help you understand the background and the context. I want to help you grasp a little bit of the flavor, if you will, of this passage and what's taking place at this point in Scripture. And I think once you see and understand what's taking place in the context and how things are moving and flowing, you're going to see that Jesus makes an important statement. And you'll be blown away by his, uh, his boldness and his courage as he calls people to believe in him. And then he gives them one of the most comforting promises in all of Scripture. Let's start, though, by reading today's text, starting in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we read that and people may look at it and go, okay, so Jesus teaches the people. He says some cryptic statement about water. That's really the Holy Spirit. Yawn. Okay, big deal. But I say, whoa, hold on. Hold your horses just a second. Until you understand properly the context and what's taking place around this, you've not grasped the heart and the power of the words that Jesus just spoke. So let me try and help you understand that a little bit. And then we're going to reread these words. And I think you'll see Jesus' words and his presentation of this information in a whole new light. This Feast of Booths was seven days long. And the first and last days of this feast were convocations, meaning everybody was required to tend as they kicked off the festival and as they closed the festival. And each day of this festival, a priest would come to the altar and he would get a pitcher. Now, I couldn't find authentic anythings in all this. So he would have a golden pitcher. This one's glass, all right, but you get the idea. He had a golden pitcher. And he would take this pitcher and he would walk through the city streets to the pool of Siloam. He would fill that pitcher with water out of that pool. And as he's going along, people are chanting verses in Scripture. One of the verses they would, they would call out as he was gathering the water is, is Isaiah 12, 3, which says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So there's great joy, and it talks about the well of salvation, that God would save and deliver his people. And the reason they would go and get this water was to celebrate and remember water in the context of the Feast of Booths, which was about the wandering in the wilderness. You see, the first thing it reminded them was that in the wilderness, Moses struck rocks and water flowed from those rocks and they were able to drink the water and stay alive because water is one of those things where you need it in order to live. So they were thanking God. They were remembering and celebrating water, which God had supernaturally provided for them in order to have this basic life necessity. 
Now, experts tell us, survival experts, that you can go a couple of weeks in, in the wilderness, in the wild, without eating food, but you can only last a matter of days without water. Water is so essential to our being and to our very life. And so basically, the people, as they celebrate water, uh, as the priests would come back and, and, and finish it up, they were celebrating and saying, thank you, God, for giving us what we need to stay alive. They were focused on God and celebrating the fact that God kept them alive. But secondly, in their current context in the city, they were celebrating the fact that God had provided enough water for crops to be harvested. Because here's how it works. I don't grow a whole lot of stuff, but I do know this. No rain equals no food, no crops, all right? So they were celebrating this water at the harvest festival after they had collected everything as a way of saying, thank you, God, that you provided water for our crops to grow, which gave us food. And food is important because of why? because we like to eat and we need to eat. And so basically they're saying, God, thank you for the water which provided the food, another life necessity to keep us alive. And I mentioned this atmosphere of celebration. And here's where this gets really interesting. The people would be gathered uh, in the the streets uh, as as huge crowds just everywhere. People as far as the eye could see. And they would be lining the streets and they had things in their hands. And I got so excited when I was studying. I got online, I was doing some research on this and I found where you can actually order these things. So I got in, I ordered some and I was like so excited they were gonna get here. And then I didn't get my email saying that my order had shipped and I'm like, what's going on? So I get back on the website and look and the things aren't even harvested and ready to go out until October. I was like, rats, I'm preaching on it this week, not in October. So now what am I gonna do? So I ordered this plush set that they have for kids. And those things still aren't here. So I had to improvise, all right? So if there are any authentic uh, Jews or Messianic Jews here, I apologize for my weak improvisions here. Uh, Not trying to be sacrilegious. This is just the best I could come up with, all right? But the people would carry in their hands two things. They held what was called an etrig. It was a yellow citrusy fruit. This is a lemon, all right? But, but you get the idea. It was very similar uh, in, in shape and context. So they had this yellow, this, this etrig that they would hold in one hand. And we'll talk about this in a moment. And then they had this little bundle of branches called a lullaby. And it was b- branches from a palm tree. And this is a palm. I'm not sure what kind of palm. I just I had that one there. It was a branch from a willow tree. And then it was a branch from a myrtle tree. So there were three branches bundled together. And so I've got a palm, I've got a Japanese myrtle and some branch here, I'm not sure. And for the record, if you go to Home Depot, it'll take you four phone calls, four, three different personnel and some strange looks to have them cut you three branches of trees uh, from plants in their store, all right? But they were very generous in allowing me to improvise with my illustration here. So they held these things in their hands and, and all of this represents different things. I mean, there's so much symbolism taking place in this city. The branches represented the three stages from their journey in slavery in Egypt into the promised land. The palm branch represented uh, their time in Egypt in slavery where there was bending and not breaking. Do you know how resilient palm trees are? I mean, you've seen the hurricanes, you know, when the wind's bending and they're almost, you know, touch, I mean, they're just bent over. Those things are incredibly resilient. All they're made of are strings like down the core. We lived in Florida 
and I had one that was dying and I went out to cut that thing down. It was miserable. I've never been so hot, tired, dirty, nasty because it's just string after string and no matter how much you cut, it's like there's more string just fraying down there. It's terrible. But this representation in Israel was the time that the Israelites, there was bending. There was very, it was difficult, but they were resilient. They didn't break in their faith and their devotion to God. The, the willow tree represented their time in the wilderness, uh, the weeping and the sorrow. An entire generation died. We're talking millions of people died during their time in the wilderness. So it was a time of great sorrow. And then the myrtle uh, represented the time in the promised land, a soothing balm that came from the tree. And then the fruitfulness of the land as, as trees, trees and crops began to grow. There are the, the real things right there. So you see what they look like and you see what I got here. It's you know, kind, kind of giving you the idea. So that was part of the symbolism of the lullaby, or the, the journey uh, from, the, from Egypt into the promised land. So that was the historical portion, but there was a modern day symbolism as well, because each of the trees and, and the etrig represented a different part of a person's being and their existence. Uh, for instance, the palm tree represented the spine. You can kind of see, you know, think about a spine being there, and the spine is important in the body, right? Because everything travels through the spine to your body, it's, it's the nerve center. So the spine was important. Uh, the the willow branch symbolized the mouth of a person. The myrtle branch symbolized the eyes. And then the etrig was about the same size of uh, the heart. And so it represented the heart. So basically the idea was they were saying that these vital parts of the body, us as human beings, that they're saying, my existence, Lord, symbolically through these things, I am surrendered and completely submitted to your control, your provision in my life. God, you give me what I need to stay alive. And so I, I symbolically surrender and give myself to you. So here's the cool part, masses of people. Thousands of people are lining the streets with their etrigs and their lolas. And they're chanting psalms and they have all these things they've memorized for, from children through adulthood. And they're saying these things out loud. Uh, they're singing uh, all kinds of scriptures. They're having this huge celebration as the priest walks down the street to go get water. And then as he returns back to the temple. And they're, they're waving these things. They're, they're waving them in a certain motion. Uh, and there was even symbolism in the motion and how they would wave things. They would take them, they would wave them three times to the front, three times to the back, three times to the right, three times to the left, three times up, and three times down. Now, the symbolism in this was for them to say uh, and to recognize God's dominion over all creation, that God is the God, God is in control of everything in the north, the south, the east, the west, the heavens above, and the earth below. And so they're shaking this and they're celebrating God's dominion. But they're also demonstrating that no matter where they may go on earth, God to the farthest reaches of the earth, above, below, everywhere we go, God, we as your people, spine, eyes, mouth, heart, we are surrendered and totally, completely yours. So that was their symbolism of holding these things and shaking them before God, that they were surrendered to him. So you're kind of getting the picture of this celebration and what's going on here. I mean, this is a fun, exciting time. And this priest would go and he would get water from the pool of Siloam all the while it's going down the streets. There's all this chanting, there's all this waving. On the way back, there's all this chanting, there's all this waving. He would return to the temple of Herod. When he came through the temple gates, trumpets would blast and people would cheer that he's back and there's this great excitement. He would bring his water and he would circle the altar one time. 
And then he would come behind the altar. Was that a time and a half? Where did I start? In the front? He'd circled the altar one time. And then he would take the water and he would hold it high into the air. And then he would pour it out on that altar. I told you, nothing's authentic, all right? It's just kind of a visual. At least it's brown, all right? The altar is made of something. If you squint, it kind of looks a little more like a formal altar. But they would take and they would pour the water on the altar as a way of giving back to God. An altar was for offering, for sacrifices, for giving things to God. Animals were killed on that altar. Different grains and fruits were came. They were burnt and offered on this altar as a sacrifice to God. So they're pouring this water saying, God, thank you for your provision. Thank you for what you have done for us. So you know what we need this morning? We need to grasp what's taking place. So I'm gonna need a little help. I need some volunteers here this morning. All right, Rebecca, I see that hand. You come on over here. You're, you're gonna be this, this section leader. Come right here. Just stand right here and I'll come and tell you what I need you to do in just a minute. Robbie, why don't you come up here? You were looking like you really wanted to come and, and be up front here. So I, I could just tell. You stand right here. All right, Addison, you come right over here. Who we got over here? Chris David, come on down here. All right, these are going to be our section leaders. What you all are going to do in your sections, the, the, the section here and you guys in the balcony, you all are going to follow the instructions you're going to get from your section leaders. You guys here in the balcony, you all are with Addison, with Robbie here up in the balcony on this side, and you guys with Rebecca over there. All right, you section leaders, what you're going to do is you see these papers on the front pews? You all are going to pick one paper up at a time, and you're going to hold it up and let them do whatever's on that paper. You're going to put it down, go to your next one, hold it up, go to your next one. Then if you finish, you're going to go back to the beginning. You're going to keep doing that until we start singing here in a few minutes, okay? All right, got that? Got it? You good? Rebecca, you got that? All right, good enough. So your job then as a congregation is going to be the whole celebration atmosphere here, all right? They would chant psalms. Two of the psalms that they likely chanted during the celebration came from Psalm 118, verse 1, and Psalm 118, verse 25. You see them on the screen. Psalm 118, 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That psalm is repeated over and over and over and over again throughout the book of Psalms. Psalm 118, 25, Save us, we pray, O Lord. So what you're going to do is when they hold up their sign, one of their signs is going to say Psalm 118.1. These will be on the screen. I want you in your section, if that sign comes up, I want you to say that verse out loud. All right? Then when they hold up Psalm 118.25, you are going to say that verse out loud. Save us, we pray, O Lord. So let's practice this, all right? Psalm 118.1, let's all say it together. Man, you all would be terrible Jews. I'm telling you. Did I say something about excitement and celebration at a festival? Who oh, gives thanks to the Lord? Or God is good. <laughs> Where's the joy in the celebration? God is good. You've got crops. He provided in the wilderness. There's excitement. He, he provides forever. His love and He showed his love to you. Be excited about that love. Let's try that again. Psalm 118.1.
Much better. Now, remember the Jews here, they're, they're in, they've been in oppression, often foreign lands throughout their history. Now they're under Roman oppression. So this Psalm 118.25 is kind of a prayer for deliverance for God to save them from their oppressors. So let's try Psalm 118 with some feeling. All right, let's give me some emotion here. All right, here we go. Very good, very good. Now, you didn't think you were going to get out without the wave, did you? I'm not talking about the sports arena wave where you go, woo, we're doing the wave. We're going to do the Lulav and the Etrig wave. All right, so stand up. You've got to stand up for this to kind of get the motion going here. You don't get one. I just have one. But when they hold up the sign that says wave, you're going to do the wave with the loves. All right, so let's pray. It's three times to the front, to the back, three to the right, three to the left, three up, and three down. So let's all practice the wave. And if you're not doing the wave, you're going to come up here and do the wave with me on a solo stint. All right? So, so here we go. Three to the front, three to the back, three to the right, three to the left, three up, three down. Hey, Macarena. I was just, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was bad. That was bad. I didn't say that. Can you, we strike that out of the, out of the CD. That, that was bad. All right. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. When you have the verses, you're going to say the verses in your section. All right. And when you have the wave, you're going to do the wave in your section. Three to the front, back, right, left, you know, up, down. You're going to do that part of it. And while you're doing the wave part of it, if you want to call out words of praise and adoration, celebration to God, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. Over the lips, through the gums, look at stomach, here it comes. I don't care, you know, whatever you want to say as a celebration, as a joy. This is a fun festival atmosphere. And here's like some of you going, I can't see her in the front. Hey, it doesn't matter. It's chaotic anyway, okay? So if you can't see her, then just say one of the verses and then do the wave. And, and the band's going to start playing. Here's what's going to happen. These psalms are actually songs that we're going to sing in today's uh, version of writing them and singing them in a way that we kind of connect with as a generation. So I'm going to go to the, uh, I'm going to go get some water, come back. I'm going to pour the water on the altar as you guys are celebrating out here. The band's going to start playing. So if you guys want to start clapping along, that's fine. When I, after I pour the water on our makeshift altar, we're going to sing and you'll recognize Psalm 118 as we sing forever. It's very easy, but Psalm 118, 25. Another thing about this verse is as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, coming up to the Passover feast during the Easter season, when he's about to be crucified, you may remember that people were waving palm branches on Palm Sunday. We talk about, and they were calling out this word Hosanna. Well, the word Hosanna is the Greek word for save us from Psalm 118.25. So we're going to sing Hosanna. So as we do this and as we sing these songs, let's reflect upon God's provision for us in the past, his great love for us, which provided Jesus Christ and how he is calling us and God wants us to surrender ourselves totally and completely to him. So our prompters, you guys go ahead and grab your papers. You got your papers there? Okay. So grab your papers. We're going to get started with our celebration here. So let's go. You guys, whatever your instruction is, go ahead and put them up there. Got the wave going. Where's that over here? There's verses.
things His love endures forever Sing praise Sing praise With a dying hand and outstretched arm His love endures forever For the life that's been reborn his love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. Forever God is faithful, forever God is the God is with us forever. From the rising, from the rising to the setting sun, His love endures forever. And by the grace of God, we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. sing with us. Ladies, I want y'all to echo us. We're going to shout this out. His love endures. Let's celebrate this together. Here we go. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Come on. His love endures forever. A little bit louder now. Come on. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Sing praise. Forever God is faithful. Forever, forever, God is faithful. Forever, 
They think that's their greatest need, but it wasn't their greatest need. It was to be delivered from their sins. And so there's this euphoria, all this celebration, and then we get to the best part. We haven't even got to the best part yet because it's on now the last day of the feast. It's called the great day of this feast. And again, it's a convocation. This is the beginning and the end. Everybody came for these. People may have done other stuff throughout the week, but everybody's there for this. And so the priest does the same thing on this day. He gets his pitcher, he makes his way through the crowds, and they're cheering and they're chanting and they're waving. He goes to the pool of Siloam. He fills up his pitcher. Euphoria. People are ecstatic all around. And he makes his way to the altar. And on this day, things change just a little bit. When he gets back to the altar, he doesn't just make a single trip around. The trumpets blast and and people, as many as could gather into the temple area. Uh, And we're talking, this is a a walled area uh, with certain courtyards in there. uh, In the central part where the altar was, I mean, there's limited space in there. Not even near as big as this room uh, would be the temple. Uh, Here's a portion of this. So people just, you know, shoulder to shoulder, packed in. They make a pathway, trumpets blare. And as the priest comes to the altar this time, he doesn't just make a single trip around the altar he actually makes seven trips the sign of completion the perfect number God's number so he makes seven trips around on his sixth trip around the altar another priest joins him with a pitcher of wine it's the harvest season they've crushed the grapes they've made wine and so there there's another priest that's there and the two priests gather together and they raise their pitchers into the air and a hush falls over the crowd as they wait in anticipation. And there's a, there's a quiet and then someone calls out, higher, higher. And so he lifts the pitcher just a little bit higher. And another, higher, higher still. And so he lifts, he's on these tiptoes. You know you deal with your kids, you know, you're kind of reaching, doing stuff. And so he's just as high as he can. One commentator said that it was the pinnacle of joy in the life of an Israelite to be able to see the water being poured from the pitcher and falling onto the altar. I mean, it's this incredible moment in the life of Israel as they reflect upon their history they celebrate they see this culmination of of the water and the wine about to be poured onto the altar 
And in that hush, that quiet anticipation, Jesus stands and calls out. You forgot about Jesus, didn't you? There's all this euphoria. There's all this excitement, all these people. And just in that moment, Jesus calls out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You talk about a power-packed moment. Jesus chose just the right psychological moment to speak those precise, powerful words. Everything about this festival had been focused on what God had done. They were expressing appreciation and thanksgiving and praise for all that God had done. They said, God, we surrender ourselves to you and we trust you to provide and care for us in the future. And in two sentences, two sentences, Jesus draws all the attention to himself and says, I am the one. I gave you all of those things, your history, your legacy, everything that you've experienced, all that you celebrate and are rejoicing about today. I gave that to you because I am God. And I want you to experience those things in an even greater capacity in the future. But you're going to have to come to me and believe in me to experience that fullness and to experience these promises in your life. I'm going to tell you, it didn't matter what the priest did at that point. All the attention is now on Jesus. He's now the focus of this festival. I told you last week, I think this is one of the most exciting, energizing passages in all of John's gospel. Jesus' declaration in the midst and at this moment in this festival was a game changer. Everything changed because of what occurred at that moment. The, the rest of this passage tells us that many declared right there, right then on the spot, their belief in Jesus as the Messiah. People surrendered their hearts and their lives to him and said, we believe you. We're going to follow you. The religious leaders didn't. They sent their temple guards to arrest Jesus. And, and when they got there, they were just blown away by his teaching, by his authority. Uh, and they couldn't arrest Jesus because they were just awed by his power and his presence. And so they went back to the religious leaders and they said, what are you doing? And so then they have this debate about whether or not Jesus could be the Messiah based on where he came from. But everything changed because of that declaration and that moment in time. I told you, we read those words earlier. And you're like, oh, okay, well, Jesus talks about water, whatever. No, 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 no. These weren't just words. This was a thought bomb that Jesus released. How you're thinking, how you're behaving, what you're doing, everything is changed because now I'm here and I want to begin a new work. And Jesus promised these rivers 
of living water flowing from the hearts of those who believe. And he's referencing the Holy Spirit. He's promising to give the Holy Spirit of God to live and dwell within us, to give us God's power, the power of God himself. All that they remembered from the wilderness, all that was taking place in present time, Jesus says that power wants to come and will come and indwell within you if you will believe and you'll have that power and that resource. And I kind of smiled this week. It really, the, the things weren't uh, interconnected. It was, I just am amazed at how God just, just kind of works and brings things together in his timing. At last week's business meeting, I announced that on September 14th, we're going to begin a midweek service. I, I've talked about this even when I was in the interview process two years ago. I talked about having a midweek service and just the timing of it and being able to get there wasn't right. But finally felt led that this is the time for us to have a midweek service. Uh, it's a time uh, on Wednesday evenings. We're going to have a, some, some praise and some worship and then a time of more in-depth Bible teaching and discipleship by our pastoral staff. And the idea is to help us dig a little deeper and explore the, the depth and the richness of God's word in greater detail on Wednesday nights. And my goal in having it in the midweek is if we're to be kind of a pick-me-up service for us as we're going through the weekend, we gather together on Sunday and hopefully we're excited and we're, we're energized in our walk and our faith with Christ and then, you know, kind of life happens. Maybe we can stop on Wednesday and it's a time to, to refocus and re-energize and re-engage with Christ in our walk with him. And we decided to call the service The Well. Like I said, it really wasn't planning on the sermon, just how, how the Lord kind of works out of calling it the well. And Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And here in John 4, when he talked to the Samaritan woman, he spoke of this living water. And so I hope you'll be able to gather together with us on Wednesday night, starting in September, as we drink from the well of Jesus, as we study God's word together. And again, independent of the message, our first topic of study this fall is going to be the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend five weeks talking about the person and the character and the, and the role and the, the responsibilities, the function of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and then spend five weeks talking about the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5.22 being lived, lived out and evidenced in our lives. But as you think about what you've seen here this morning, and again, this is all, it's just, just symbolism. I wanted you to get the idea and I wanted to put you as much as I could in the context of what was taking place in the first century when Jesus made this declaration and this incredible invitation. As he spoke for people here, he invited whoever believes in me. Jesus wasn't there just, just for teaching, for lessons, for people to have notes and to say, oh, we learned something today or we saw, you know, a great event take place. He wanted people to come to him and believe in him and surrender themselves to him. And so as we come to our time of invitation this morning, that's what I want to invite you to do. We're going to sing an invitation song that, again, flows from this text and the significance of all that we've seen this morning. And if you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, then I want to invite you to do that today, to come and experience these rivers of living water flowing from your heart through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything in this environment centered on God's goodness, his provision, his power to deliver his people and care for them in spite of their sinfulness and, and, and disobedience. Remember, all this is rooted in the wilderness wanderings. An entire generation died because of their sin and their disobedience to God. Yet God showed great love and mercy and compassion on the next generation by delivering them from the wilderness. 
And I want you to know that God's love and his mercy and his compassion is available to you today. He wants to deliver you from your sin and your disobedience to him as well. And you do that by believing that Jesus died for you and admitting that, yes, you've blown it. You've broken God's law. You've disobeyed him. But Jesus died to pay the price for your sins. And you invite Christ into your life to forgive you of your sins, to take control of your life, and then give you the Holy Spirit to live within you, to guide and direct you all the days of your life. The symbolism in this text is so rich. God provides water that sustained the Israelites and all of creation. And God provided food and shelter and protection for them as they wandered in the wilderness. And every year they have a feast to remember and celebrate God's faithfulness and his provision and to ask God to continue to provide and care for them as they surrender themselves to him. And I want you to know the same holds true for you today. God has provided in your past. He's been there for you. He's provided all that you've needed for life, for physical life to stay alive and and to have the life and existence that you have. And he wants to offer his presence and his provision for your future in an even greater capacity if you would simply trust and surrender yourself to him as well.